Hello, passionate listeners and watchers. Welcome to Passion Harvest. Thank you so much for joining us wherever you are in the world right now. I'm Louisa, your host, and I'm so excited about our guest today, Christopher Keto. Chris Keto went into anaphylactic shock from a food allergy and it led him to a life-changing near-death experience. Chris's NDE completely changed his life. This is his story and this is his passion. Chris Keto, so honoured and excited to have you on the show today. Welcome to Passion Harvest. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm glad we could uh, finally connect and get this on the books to, to be together. I'm honoured and excited. Um, I can't wait to hear about your near-death experience, but also the after effects and the healing process afterwards. So if you wouldn't mind getting started on the lead up to your near-death experience, and we'll take it from there. Absolutely. Again, thank you for having me and uh, being a part of your show. Um, so, you know, I... Uh, <clears throat> You know, I had a near-death experience about nine and a half years ago. And speaking about this now has been a long process. I only started speaking about this about a year ago. And it was very difficult. And every time I, I go into my experience, my hope is, and the reason why I speak about it is to share. One, I find it healing for myself to discuss it. And the second reason is to share with others, because I was there when I heard about other NDE stories and that sense of community and that feeling and having others there to support when you are in a unique niche situation or you have questions that you cannot go or you might not, you know, cannot go to friends or family or you may not have the community readily available. It's really helped me tremendously. So, you know, sitting here, I'm so thankful for the opportunity and the ability to possibly connect on a very special level with your audience and, and you providing this platform. Um, you know, so I'm delighted that, you're here. <laughs> thank you. Uh, so you know, with that, you know, I was, um, I was born and raised in Long Island, New York in the United States. And after college, I went to school in Connecticut and my whole life, I had a very ideal, ideal American upbringing, played lacrosse, was a lifeguard in the summers. I was the oldest of three boys, all around wonderful. When I was a child, I was diagnosed with a peanut and tree nut allergy uh, from an allergy test. So up until, you know, really throughout my adolescence, my teenage years, and then throughout college, I never had a significant food reaction or anaphylactic reaction or allergic reaction to food. I very simply, as many people with allergies, you work to avoid the allergen. And that worked. And, you know, you'd have the epinephrine, which are the EpiPens you, everyone hears about and people with allergies carry. And, you know, they last about a year. And, you know, I had them and didn't know always where they were. Didn't know if they were expired or not. They expire after about a year. And, you know, you have your yearly checkup. Maybe you'd be a few months off. And, yeah, we'd get some new pens or maybe we wouldn't. And, you know, it was not something that was top of mind. And that's, you know, and these little behaviors over years can have such a magnitude effect down the road. And in any near-death experience and story, it's always the details that, have such a massive impact on the experience and what the outcome is and, and where you go from there. So this is where my consciousness was at this point with regards to my allergy. And, uh, you know, very fortunate, grew up in a family where my mother was a teacher for many years and she had a PhD in holistic medical philosophy. So my father was in the insurance industry and I always said I was a bit of a capitalist hippie Right. <laughs> uh, went, went, to, went to college with some crystals, you know, went to business school with some crystals on my work desk. That's the best way right. to kind of sum it up. Um, and then after I graduated, I decided to move to Los Angeles. So I went about 3000 miles away and I was starting my career there. And at this time I was, I recently turned 24 and I was you know, learning to be in a new city, be on my own. No, no family in the area. I didn't know anyone. Really, the joke was I always just washed ashore in Los Angeles because there, there was never any plan to really go. It just kind of came up and there was nothing that really resonated 
when I was 22, 23 with New York for myself. And, you know, that's something a lot of people I feel can relate to is, well, this isn't, I don't feel anything here. And, you know, I made the decision that, you know, we have to make a change and was very fortunate I did that. And I was at a friend's birthday party on a Sunday evening, and it was a normal party that everyone's gone to. Everyone's talking, mixing, and mixing around, hanging out, discussing, whatnot. And they started to serve pieces of cake to, to everyone at the party. And you know, you're just passing cake around. You take a slice, I take a slice. Again, nothing out of the ordinary. We, we've all done this many, many times. Any birthday yeah. party, same exact situation. And it looked like a regular chocolate cake. And eventually I took a piece and, you know, you take a little bit of the, you know, the tip of the tip of the cake and you have a bite. And I, you know, I took it and I had some and I immediately realized something was off. And up until this point in my life, I've never had peanuts or tree nuts. I really don't know exactly what the taste is. I've had an idea because you could sometimes smell it. I've always avoided it. I would never go near it at all. I would even not go near any food products that said may contain that. I was very, pretty much very strict about it. And as someone, as anyone knows with food allergies, there's always a constant danger at any point. Uh, if there is allergens or there's cross contaminations when there shouldn't be the allergen in the food and accidentally there is to the kitchen or, or some instance like that. And in that moment, I, I took that bite of cake and it was, you know, half the size of a fork, the, the end of a fork. And I swallowed. And the moment I swallowed, I realized something was off. There was a different taste in my mouth because you're in conversation. And in that split second, literally a split second, I realized I ingested a peanut. So my first reaction was, uh-oh, what happened? And then I kind of looked at the cake and said, oh, wait a second, I think there's peanuts in here. Oh no, what happened? And again, I never had a reaction. I didn't know what would happen. I thought, well, this could be okay. Hey, I'll just take some Benadryl and we'll sleep it off. You know, wake up Monday morning, it won't be a big deal. We'll just, you know, go from there. Let me go have some water just to, you know, wash it out of my mouth. I had like a little itch in my mouth, but nothing. And I just said, all right, don't make a scene. We're just going to continue to hang out and we'll be out of here in a half hour. And that's what happened. Because uh, I had no experience of what would happen if I were to ingest a peanut. Um, you know, and I want to I take a second here in the story. I'm going to do the best I can to give detail and accurately describe the leading, events leading up to this. Um, and again, I'll do my best. It's very hard because language is very limiting. And I'm going to try to really paint the picture and give the best descriptive people. There's some things I just don't have words for and we don't have language for later in, in part of this story. And again, if I do pause, I'm trying to find the best word and really the best way to convey what was going on in that moment uh, to you and your audience. Thank you for clarifying that. You're doing a, I'm yeah. sure you'll do a great job. So party, everyone heads out of the party. I head home, take two Benadryl. I said, all right, we're going to sleep this off. It's not going to be a big deal. You know, I'll be, I'm going to, you know, the Benadryl will help me sleep. No problem at all. All right, we'll go from there. So get in bed, hang out. And you know, you're laying there. It's always those moments where you have this creeping thought of, okay, is this going to get better? It's not going to get better. And there was no panic. I said, all right, I took the Benadryl. I, that should be okay. You know, I've never had anything happen before. Who, who knows? Maybe, maybe my allergy is not as severe. Maybe, I, you know, it was grown out of it. Grown out of it. Absolutely. Who, who knew? We never crossed this bridge before. So it was fully in the unknown. I said, you know, I don't feel so great. I, you know, like, let me just, let me just get up. So I said, you know what? I really want to know where my EpiPen is. I'm sure it's somewhere. So I get up, I flick on, you know, the bathroom light and you're, you know, it's the brightness and I start looking for the pen and I find it and lo and behold, it's expired by about six months. I said, all right. I heard these maybe work after the expiration date, but I don't, I don't know. because so I've never used it and I just kind of had them around and I had to look for it. And I said, all right, we'll see how I do. Let me take another two more Benadryl. So we take two more Benadryl. Now we're four Benadryl in. 
All right, let me go back to bed. We'll see how I feel in another half hour. So I'm laying there, laying there, starting to feel warm, starting to think, well, how's my breathing? How do I feel? Am I kind of itchy? Am I warm? That creeping feeling of, am I making these feelings up or are they really happening in this moment? Yeah. And we've all been there. Yeah. Like, is it really bad? And we don't, I, we just, we don't know. And I said, am I overreacting? I said, geez, it's now, you know, 10 o'clock on a Sunday night. I said, oh gosh, what, what's this turning into? Am I just going to be up for the next three hours staring at myself in the mirror? You know, what's going on here? So then I get up and I, you know, another half hour, I'm like, all right, I'm really, I just don't feel well. I'm starting to get a little more anxious. And, you know, I go back and, you know, flick the light on. Oh, it's bright. You know, that whole thing. And I go, all right, I'm, I'm red. I have hives all over neck, arms, underarms, face. My eyes are bloodshot. I said, all right, this isn't, this, this is pro progressing in the wrong direction. I said, let me just lay down. We'll see how the Benadryl kicks in. Those other two may not have kicked in yet. My body might just you know, be pushing it out, whatever. Again, we're, we're playing mental gymnastics at this point. And I said, well, I got the EpiPen and I know where the hospital is and we'll, we'll, we'll go from there and we'll take it minute by minute. So then you're laying, I'm laying there and, you know, I'm, I'm focusing on my breath because I know with anaphylactic reactions, the threat is that your airway closes and you can't breathe. Yeah. And th I'm, it's quiet. I'm just laying there in the room. It's dark, focusing on my breath. And I say, you know, I feel it's getting more and more difficult to breathe. Just a little bit heavy chest little tightness in the throat. I said, all right, what am I gonna do here? I don't think this is getting better. This could get much worse. What am I gonna do? And earlier when we started speaking, I said, there's always the depth, you know, the, the details are so important to any NDE story because it's a half second too late, too early, one decision here, one decision there, different decision can completely change the outcome. So here I am, new to a city, alone, going into, which I'd never find out, a severe anaphylactic reaction, going into anaphylactic shock from a food allergy. Again, I had no idea the severity of what it could be, what could happen, what the feeling would be did not have a plan in place medically. If this were ever to happen, I went 24 years and this has never happened. Nothing even close. So I said, what do I do? Do I call 911? What if the ambulance comes to the wrong house? What if they don't show up? Whether that's true or not, that was running through my head in this moment when panic or anxiety was setting in of, okay, I have to make the right decision because this could this could be fatal if I don't. Do I use the EpiPen and then call 911? Does the EpiPen work? What happens if I use the epinephrine, the EpiPen, and I'm not able to make a phone call because when you administer the medicine, you can't function properly and I couldn't dial or, or something. Gosh. Again, I've never had epinephrine. Do I drive myself to the hospital? Because I figure I have about 15 minutes. I think I could make it and I know I could get there and at least it's in my control and I'm not just waiting. So I don't, you know, looking back almost a decade later, I just made, I don't know why I made that decision, but I made the decision. I thought, all right, let me combine all three and I'm going to use, take my EpiPen, which is expired, and I'm going to drive to the hospital. So it's roughly 1030 on a Sunday night in Los Angeles. So no one's on the road. And in my almost nine years of living in that city, there was very few nights I was driving at that time. And the roads were as empty as they were on that random April night in 2012. And that was just happenstance that it was that time and it was that day if it was a friday saturday or a monday it would have been a very different story and a very different outcome so at that point i just threw on some shorts grabbed my epi pen 
jumped in my car and headed to the hospital. I remember driving and focusing so intently on just breathing because it was cascading downward. It was getting worse and worse. The progression and my limited ability to breathe was getting harder. It was just getting harder and harder to breathe. And I'm panicked because you're, you're trying to breathe and drive. And did I make the right decision? Am I going to get here? Okay, what do I do if I can't breathe and I'm still not there? Do I use the epinephrine? What, what do I do? Did I make the wrong decision? So I'm driving to the hospital. I pull in. I guess there was a valet and they kind of took the car. I gave them the keys and I went right into the emergency room. And again, I'm red. I'm covered in hives. I'm sweating. My eyes are bloodshot. It was I remember it being harder to move. My motor skills, it was more and more difficult to really do anything. And again, everything I was focusing on was breathing and getting in oxygen. And it just wasn't coming in. It was just a slow, slow suffoc suffoc suffocating, suffocation. And I get in there and I look at the nurse and I said, I'm having an allergic reaction. She looked at me and she said, do you have ID? And I opened my wallet. And there's, there's moments I vividly remember now that happened almost nine and a half, almost 10 years ago. And I opened the wallet and I remember I could not get my hand to pull out my driver's license to hand them. It was too, it was too difficult. I couldn't, I didn't have the function anymore. It was, it took everything Gosh. to get there at that hospital. So I, I attempted to pull it out. And I, I remember falling and like leaning into the counter and she jumped up, grabbed me along with another nurse. And they pretty much two of two women carried, carry, and I'm about six foot, 180 pounds. They carried me back into the ER and they threw me on the bed. And at that point, I, I doctors and nurses swarmed around me. And at that point, and that, that, that is when the NDE began you know up until that point you know in in the story it was it's within two and a half hours we went from a normal birthday party everything okay to now i'm on a stretcher in a hospital fighting for my life fighting to breathe suffocating when i'm in the hospital I, a lot of what I'm going to say now, I was later mm -hmm. told after and, and all of that. I wasn't able to really communicate. Again, I was focusing on breathing. I remember being in this very much a euphoric, blissful state at this point and not fully understanding the panic and urgency of the medical staff around me. I remember thinking, why... Are they so urgent? Why are they so panicked? And I was just trying to breathe and they had the oxygen on me and it wasn't, it, you know, my oxygen levels were, were dropping. I was suffocating. I wasn't retaining oxygen. I wasn't pulling it in. My airway was extremely closed. The doctor was opening my mouth. They were trying to see if they could put a tube in. I later found out that was not an option because my, to my throat was so closed off, they would not be able to actually physically insert it and get it to go down. God. And they had Benadryl shots going into my wrist. I had epinephrine coming in through my shoulder. I had everything pumping through me, trying to get me going, breathing. I was not responsive. I remember them asking me questions and I, I remember not answering. I just can't remember looking at them. And again, I'm in this blissful state, this euphoric state in these moments. And the concept of time was gone. The physical aspect of pain was gone. Anxiety was gone. Fear was gone. Distress was gone. I, I was not, the, the, the energy was not of this world that I could have ever felt before or after that, that, those moments. And I remember 
thinking, and I don't even know if the right word is thinking, but a, a washed over conscious thought or feeling of, I'm dying. This is what it feels like. This is what's happening to me right now in this moment. I'm dying. And I accepted it. I you had no afraid. No fear. I was not, I, I accepted it. Not that I wanted to die. I, I, not at all. I just, there was this acceptance and I didn't question it. It was like, no, this is what's going to happen. It's okay. It's almost like I've been there before or that feeling felt like home. And there was, there was nothing to be concerned of, nothing to be fearful of. It was absolutely okay. And it was, I remember looking at just like the confusion around me and I didn't understand it because here I am in this blissful, euphoric, loving state. And I remember the doctor looking at me because it's been a few minutes and I wasn't retaining oxygen. The epinephrine was not working. And I later found out sometimes the epinephrine doesn't work. You need multiple doses. Or if you're too late in the stages of an anaphylactic reaction into anaphylactic shock, it cannot be reversed. It's not always reversed. Sometimes you just pass a certain point and it, it doesn't matter. Or enough damage has been done because of lack of oxygen that there, there's not a lot to resuscitate, or you're coming back with, with some severe disabilities in this, because I wasn't breathing, I wasn't retaining oxygen, and I'm just there. The doctor looks at me and says, I'm so sorry, I can't save you. Gosh. The epinephrine wasn't working. They could not put a tube down my throat. They could not have access, because it was so swollen, it was swollen shut, and there was nothing else to do. Hope it works. Let's see what, what's, how's this going to end? They, they did not know everything they were trying did not work, but they knew they could do and that you could do in a situation like that. Cause I, it was, I was far into the anaphylactic reaction, even though it was delayed from when I initially had the peanut several hours earlier. So you could have something an instant allergic reaction, or it could be somewhat delayed. In my case, it was delayed. And then it cascades rapidly into a very, very critical situation. And in this moment, I remember thinking, yeah, I, 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 I'm dying. This is it. I'm, I'm okay. And, and again, going back, and this is where the language is so difficult. We really, the, the language does not, we don't have words for these situations or yeah. these moments or these feelings, but this washover of, you know, now looking back on that situation, but in that moment, I, I vividly, the thought of the only thing that matters is love. Nothing physical, nothing material matters. You know, here I am suffocating to death on a hospital bed. Nothing's coming with me. Nothing. I think I even remember thinking that having a new iPhone doesn't matter. But the <laughs> behind that is material items, possessions don't matter. Love is the only thing that matters. And no concept of time, euphoric, blissful feeling. And, so, and in that moment, you know, I always grew up in a very spiritual household. And my, one of my grandfathers passed away prior to, prior to, to being born, for me to being born. And my other grandfather passed away several years after I was born, very young age. And in that moment, they came to me, both my grandfathers, in a, I would say, telepathic, conscious communication, a all-knowing, a washover of feeling, knowledge, and emotion, a way that we do not communicate in our day-to-day -day reality of this consciousness. And they say, you can't die. You have work to do. And up until that point, I was accepting the situation. And then in that very moment, 
my communication with them, I switched over. I said, I, I, I said, okay. I'm thinking, you know, my response back is okay. I don't want to die. No, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And in that moment, and again, the, the split second, this instant, I felt as if I shot back in my body and instantly hit with pain. And I remember the feeling of grabbing and fighting, like figuratively, like trying to grab oxygen and this survival emotion and this raw, very raw desire to breathe and live. And, you know, again, a splat, a half second before that euphoric bliss. Now I'm back fighting, scraping to breathe. I'm now responsive with the doctors. Everything's back. My senses are back. I'm in pain, trying to breathe. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm now fear is back. Fight is back. Emotion is back. Everything is coming back flooding and I'm fighting and scraping to breathe and pull in oxygen. And that went on for I later a few minutes until I eventually stabilized and calmed down and focused on breathing and my heart rate came down, the anaphylactic reaction stopped, the hive started to go away. They kept pumping more and more epinephrine and Benadryl through me. And I then laid there. Now at this time, I, I was not focused on the spiritual aspect or what happened or what I'm going through. I was, it was a violent fight to survive. That's it. There was nothing lovey-dovey about that moment I came back. And I wasn't thinking about anything spiritual or happy, or it was just, oh my God, we're breathing. What happened? I'm in pain. I'm in a hospital. I'm hooked up to everything. That was it. There was no spiritual revelation. There was no emotional bliss. It was, oh my God, excruciating pain. I, I'm still, I'm just focused on breathing. Am I going to be okay? Am I going to react again in 40 minutes? It, it's still in me. Is the medicine going to work? Am I okay? Is there going to be any damage? What happened? No concept of time. So hours go by. It's about, you know, I later, you know, again, I didn't have an idea of what was really happening this moment, but I was in the hospital for about eight hours. And then at around six o'clock that morning, you know, the nurses say, well, you know, I guess you can go home if you'd like. And I said, uh, you know, I'm like, oh, okay. And I said, well, you know, how was I when I came in? They said, we thought you were going to die out of a one out of 10, you were nine and a half. Oh, you were shit. unrecognizable from the moment you came in to now we're going to discharge you. And I didn't, you know, you don't, I don't have, I, in that moment, you don't have the concept of how bad it was or wasn't bad because you were just one, you know, I was in a euphoric blissful state. And then the second was I was, you know, you're scraping to survive. Everything else falls by the wayside to be in that emotional, mental, and physical state of survival. Everything else stops. And then later you can piece all the pieces back together, which, which I've been doing for the last you know, nine years of, of that moment and that night. So I, you know, they gave me the little socks with the rubber on the bottom so you don't slip in the hospital. Right. And I, they gave me some papers and they said, well, here you go. So I walked out and uh, found my car and had the ticket. And, you know, I always joke, I, I really knew I survived when the first thing I did coming back was I paid for parking. <laughs> what a night, my gosh. A night. I knew I was back. I said, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm back <laughs> paying for parking. So did that, and then I, I headed home. And then for the last, next few days after that, I was really bedridden, and I was just in pain. My body was rehealing from the trauma of that night. And then after that, I, you know, I had no idea what an NDE was. I'd never heard NDE before. I didn't know what happened. The first few days, though, 
first you know couple of days it was just a physical let me let me be able to move around without excruciating pain and then from there you know anyone that's had an nde or i'm sure your audience knows there's a whole other aspect to that process in the nde where i, I said the nde is one percent of the experience the rest is the road after of healing integration what happened processing transforming and moving forward which is not always easy as people no, might assume no it's not no and, and i would say about three four days after is when that started because uh, the first few days was just physical pain and nothing went beyond that And again, at that time, I had no idea what an NDE was. So I had nothing to go off of. I just knew a few things looking back in that, that time that was so pivotal. I kept a journal since I was 13. And I was very fortunate the entire, even up until now, I, I've always journaled. And looking back, I will sometimes look at those first six months after my near-death experience. And I wrote several times and underlined in large letters my consciousness changed. Now, I had emotional changes, physical changes, consciousness changing that I, I wrote on numerous occasions after that. I've had a consciousness shift. Now, many times when people have that, it's years after healing, practicing, meditating. Mine happened in one violent night. I had no idea what was going on. And for the first six months, the six months after, I would wake up not knowing who I was. I knew how to tie my shoes, I knew math, I knew how to speak, but I did not know my emotional, mental hardware or what I valued. I, I woke up, I felt different. My reaction and thought process shifted completely. I remember just looking around and thinking, I don't even know myself anymore because there would be moments and my reactions would be different. I wouldn't know how to react. I wouldn't know what to think. I didn't understand why I was thinking something because a month ago I was like, well, I was doing this or I had this. Now this is a priority or this isn't, or why am I doing this? And it wasn't like, oh, I'm just gonna do it or I'm gonna make, I'm gonna make a different, definitive change or habit. It just happened but I realized it was happening. So then something would happen and I'd be like, well, I, what's going on? Who am I? And it was very difficult. I, I had no idea who I was. And then one night, about a month and a half later, I was just, I don't know how I came about it, but I stumbled across through the grace of the universe, IAN's website, which is the International Association of Near-Death Studies, and I clicked on a link that said, did you have an NDE? And it had like 28 points, and I had 27 of the 28. So then the next morning, I called, I said, listen, I, I'd like to talk to someone. I, you know, I took your, I looked at your checklist, and I, I got like a 99 score on it. Uh, so they connected me with a, a, a facilitator in, in California, and I, you know, I, told her real quick. I said, Hey, here's the quick story. Of what happened to me? I have no idea what's going on. Can you please tell me I need some help? And she goes, Oh, honey, you had a near death experience. Listen, why don't you come up here and we'll talk some more. And at that moment, I had some direction on one, what happened to me, where I was going, what I could you know, possibly expect to happen because everything was just brand new. I was just stumbling around in the dark with my emotions, my mental state, what happened to me physically. It wasn't something I was going to talk about it and pieces were coming back. And I, I thought, oh my God, what happened? Oh my, I had this experience. My grandfathers were there, which, you know, I, I didn't talk about it. You know, I, I was still like, am I going to be okay? You know, then you have the physical aspects of, you know, I went through a period where I was very, I had a lot of anxiety eating with food. I remember there was one moment where I cooked spaghetti and I had this fear that there were peanuts in the pasta and I threw it all out. Everything went in the garbage and I just sat there and I would only eat at some fast food restaurants because I knew they didn't have peanuts anywhere on the menu and they were franchised. 
And that was it. I, I would not venture out. So I had the physical aspect, the mental, emotional, spiritual that I was dealing with and, and recalibrating and figuring out this entire time while being in a brand new city for less than six months, entering adulthood, entering a career. I was getting into real estate at the time. All of this going on at the same time, it was, it was quite, quite the, uh, the journey at this point and for the years to follow. And I never spoke about this for many years. It was, it was too difficult. I attempted to several years after and I, I got through about 50% of the story and I left out pretty much most of the NDE. I just talked about really food allergies and that was all I could really comfortably and really, I couldn't even verbalize the story. So when I mean individuals say, I didn't talk about it for 10, 20 years, I understand it took me almost 10 years to discuss this openly. And even now it, it's still difficult. It's, it's uh, you know, distressing for me to speak about and go in there, but it, but it is healing one and the same, which I'll, I'll get into shortly. Um, so, you know, during this time, it was, you know, the focus is integration, transformation, understanding what happened and moving forward. And it took years for me to get to the point to discuss this. And it was through meditation, yoga, sweat lodges, spiritual practices, you name it, I did it. I went on a healing journey with all different modalities and practices and experiences to really find myself or, you know, I don't even know if I was finding myself or reintegrating and redeveloping myself and transforming. Again, the language is so limiting when we start talking about consciousness mm. and spirituality. Well, the new version of Chris. Yes. That was evolving. Absolutely. And, and at the same time of figuring that out, still being grounded and functioning in society and community and my career and being able to go about life while dealing with this enormous, you know, uh, undertaking of a spiritual transformation and really figuring myself out. Again, I, I walked out a different person and I had to relearn myself, whether it be relearn or I had to understand or grow into who I was. And I, I, I really want to say, you know, there are some, you know, I'm sure your, your audience and you've heard many NDE stories, you know, there's not always that Oprah moment or that loving beautiful, blissful, rainbows, beautiful, amazing. You know, the actual NDE experience was very traumatic. It was very violent. It was scary. It was awful. The healing journey and integration in the years to follow were stressful, were lonely, were very dark at times of figuring myself out. It was not always wonderful. It was, you know, I'd say at certain points, it was awful. It was really, really difficult and tough on many levels, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, you know, not being able to even physically, you know, verbalize an experience that that's heavy. That's very, very heavy. It took a lot of heavy lifting and years of going and, and going after this and really working through and, and getting to the point where it can be discussed. And I, I, I want I always want to share that side of this because it's so tough. And anyone that of your listeners that had have a near death experience or a, a spiritually transformative experience, and it's not all perfect. I understand. I was in that, but I'm still in that boat. I'm just able, I'm just a little bit further along in the journey and able to speak about it when I wasn't for, for almost the better part of a decade. And that, that's it. That's part of it. And sometimes I feel it's overshadowed and, and, but you have to look at everything balanced as, as a whole, uh, the experience and moving forward. You know, I go back and I've been asked what, what it meant when my grandfather said, you can't die, you have work to do. And they said, well, did you get any more detail? I said, no, that was it. And I, you know, I don't know what that really meant, but I know I'm here. And You know, I, I'm, I was given a second chance. I should have not survived. I should have, at a very minimum, 
had some significant damage done because of lack of oxygen. And I walked out of that hospital. And I look at that and, and if I can, by speaking about this and sharing my story on platforms like yours and, and others, reach one person by my story and something I say resonates with them or connects with them when they think they don't have anyone to speak to because this is a very niche topic. It's a very personal topic. It's a very deep, deep, non-mainstream topic to discuss death, dying, consciousness, afterlife and help someone, then it's worth it to me. And that's the work that I'm focusing on that I can do and give back because that's the least I can do as a thank you to being here and having the opportunity to speak about it and help others and be in a position of service to give back. And that's, that's, that's what I can do. I could, you know, honor those that helped me in the hospital and honor those that have helped me along the way to then give back to those around me or people I never meet. And, and that's why I do it. I, I don't know who, who watches or who listens to this, but I'm going to throw it, put it out there. And that's why I do it, uh, to help, even if it's one person for one moment to give them peace or an understanding or something that they were looking for that they couldn't find elsewhere, I, I will fill that niche. That, that's why I, I do this. And that's why I'm going to continue to do that to speak about this. Thank you for, you know, sharing your message so openly and honestly for those that are needing it in some, whatever capacity it might be. Um, can I just ask you a few questions? Absolutely. I, yes. Do you ever, did you ever, well, life, there's no regrets. Did you ever regret the choice to come back to your physical incarnation? No, but I didn't even have, I don't feel I even had a choice, mm. but I don't, I just, it very vividly in that moment, I remember thinking, I don't want to die and fighting not to die, but it was very clear. It's like, you're not dying. And I, I don't at all regret. I, I think life, I feel life is so precious and can be so beautiful, but yet it could also just be so absolutely insane and traumatic and violent and it's everything. And you know, with that question, I want to go into, you know, one of the main feelings or I don't know the right word. Again, language is limiting, but the concept and understanding of gratitude was, was what was the most strongest emotion that I came out of, I could say, from that experience, the gratitude that I was given a second chance when Many people are not, and I'm sure they would have taken the second chance, but that was not an option in their situation. And I have to, you know, you have to make the most of that. So I have no regret not coming back. I'm supposed to be here and I'm figuring out what I have to do. And I'm going to, you know, lead with service and love and gratitude. And that's, that's going to be my guide. And of course, you, you talk about your consciousness completely changed. You're a new version of you. I, I loved it when you spoke about how you realized that nothing was coming with me, no material possessions, not my body, not my iPhone. Um, so often we get attached to external things, I guess. Do you, do you, obviously, we need to survive and we, need, we like certain comforts, but how has that changed your life, not relying so much or placing such importance on external your external landscape or material possessions or things well i think it's a balance i you know everyone wants comfort and nice things and to be able to you know live the life they want to live whatever that may be and i think there's two ways to answer that i i anyone can obtain whatever they like or it i always think it's the consciousness behind it is it you know, for yourself and for others to share, or is it just for yourself and you're coming from a very selfish, greedy perspective on, on your obtaining wealth or material. But if you're doing that with a consciousness of love and, Hey, I'm going to give back. And I know I can do so much if I have this resource, that's great. And, you know, it, it's also, you know, I, I think it's none of my business, how other people live. And I, you know, I, I live the way I feel I should and everyone else can, can do as they must. 
I, I feel it's a balance. We live in a very, especially in the United States, a very consumer consumption driven society. And I mean, it's all around. And I just, you know, it, you have, again, you have to live within our society and you have to live within community, but you can live so in a very balanced, healthy way. And, and it's still a work in progress, but I, I can say I don't have a major emphasis on things. I like nice things, and but I I understand their role and value, and their value isn't much. It's just all right. That's great. I mean, how often have you know you looked at something and it's on sale? It's on price in one store, then six months later it's half the price. I mean, we just put numbers on things like we make them up of what something's worth. You know, <laughs> we can get into all of that you know, a, a value of it. But, you know, I know what's most important to me are people, experiences, and community. Above all, that's, that's it. I, and, I, and I don't ever put anything material beyond that. So for someone that, you know, is looking for, you know, if I can give an answer, I'd say I, the value is on people, experiences, and community. And that's what matters most to me. And nothing material will ever even come close to in the, that category, period. Um, I just also wanted to ask, what would you say to someone who's in the process of dying? You know, I, I'm often asked with, with that question and also do I ever have, do I have a fear of dying? Yes, I, that's a very I, common question as well. You know, prior to my NDE, I never thought about it. I mean, I, I don't know many, you know, young adults that do. I just, I just never thought about it. I was focused on other things. So I never went in with any notion. But I can say this, having kind of, I like to say, opened the door and stepped one foot into that realm and then kind of got pulled back or you know, pushed back or fell back or came back. There was no fear. It made more sense to me in those few moments than reality right now does, if that makes any sense. And again, we don't have the language to describe that situation because it's not a situation we live in. We don't, you, you just can't describe it. But I, I would say if someone wanted an answer, I would say it is euphoric, blissful, loving, natural. And it's supposed to happen and it's okay and you'll be okay. You also mentioned um, that it felt like home. Does that imply that you you'd been there before in some way or you were familiar with that feeling, that sensation, that experience? I think so. I feel so. I, I do. I've never felt that way since. I've never felt that way ever in my life in those few moments. It just, it just was so natural. And your and, grant, sorry, please go ahead. Oh, no, that's it. I, I, again, the language is limiting, but I, uh, I can yes. say. You're doing natural. a good job. Your grandfathers, have you had any communication with them since that time? That's a great question. I, you know, I, another, so some other effects from that was I always grew up very intuitive. Uh, so from the NDE, I've done a lot of work with mediumship and psychic ability and a high level of intuition. And now I don't know if that experience gave me those skills, whether they enhanced the skills I had or they uncovered the skills I already had. But I, I've done a lot of work within that, that realm. And I, to best answer that question is, I can tap into that and I could, you know, I can get messages using mediumship or really understanding or communicating with the spirit world. That's something I'm able to do. Um, I don't do it professionally for others, but I use it for myself and for my family. Um, people often say that they return with certain capabilities or gifts after their NDE. Did you, I know you just spoke about your intuitive gifts may have enhanced. Was there any other significant uh, insights or gifts that you felt you received? 
Or maybe you're in the process. I'm answering your question. Maybe you're no, in the absolutely. process. Uh, you know, other than the, the mediumship, the the, the you know I, that it, this the psychic ability, the it, the high. I mean, I was pretty intuitive prior, and I was pretty spiritual. But we would say I'm sure it increased, and maybe it was the NDE or practice. But I would say the best, not the best, but the 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 understanding of gratitude and that balancing grounding acceptance and really the sense of gratitude is by far an ability and i think we, we maybe look at gratitude as a a trait where really it's an ability to to be in a state of gratitude it takes work it's very difficult you know spirituality is not easy you know changing growing trans trans transforming integrating is really tough work like it's not easy at all. At least it wasn't for me. I don't know. Maybe it's easy for some others. I don't know. For me, it was a lot of work, uh, a lot of draining work. But I, I think I, I like to classify gratitude as a, a skill because you have to constantly recheck yourself, reevaluate because life gets crazy. You know, unfortunately, you know, I'm not just hanging out, you know, in a hippie commune here. I'm you know, building a business, working, functioning, sitting in traffic, going through an airport, doing all the day-to-day -day daily activities. And it's not the most conducive to a very blissful, enlightened spiritual life. And you have to make a conscious effort and intention to integrate that and have a balance and, 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 and stay in a certain states of gratitude or whatever, or, or whatever that may be. It, it, it's work. It, it, it is deliberate, I would say, I've learned. I can see how grateful you are for life as well. We, as you said, you did get a second chance and going back to that gratitude and saying spiritually, spirituality isn't always easy. I always say it's so important to ask yourself questions you don't know the answers to or get curious. Um, it might not always be easy, but it's very rewarding. Absolutely. It's been a, it's been a tough process but it's also been a beautiful process and I've met some absolutely amazing people and I, I'm very much looking forward to the future and getting out there and being open and going from there. Do you have an EpiPen that hasn't expired? I do. I oh, just thank goodness. <laughs> I, I, I have a couple actually. I have, there are several strategically placed, like base <laughs> car, desk drawer everywhere and they are and all a medical up. plan and a plan we know exactly what to do yes amazing well chris keto thank you so much for being on passion harvest i can't wait to see how your life evolves and i'm sure it continue will continue to and i wish you the utmost success thank you for being so honest and open and sharing pieces of you with the audience today Thank you. And again, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. I, I, I am appreciative of, of this and you to take time. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Bye-bye.